We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Field of 68's After Dark. Uh, we got a great crew for you tonight to break everything down. We got Sean Miller, Archie Miller, Robbie Hummel. We got a hell of a game right now. Duke is up 75-73 with a little over two minutes to go. And uh, this game, guys, has been as good as advertised. I mean, the first couple big Zags games were were absolute train wrecks. Uh, But this one has been terrific and kind of good to see because I think we needed this. You know, over here on the East Coast, we're staying up till 1030. Uh, We we needed something to kind of get us going. So, Sean, what what has – kind of stood out to you the most with this game so far, kind of going back and forth. Paolo was sensational in the first half, but honestly, you know, Gonzaga had to be pretty fortunate. Mark Few going into the break, only down three. Yeah, for sure. What stands out for me, Jeff, is, you know, when you look at Chet Holmgren, it's easy to see his offense. I think you really have to look at that as much about his defense as his offense. I mean, what a difference it is for Duke scoring in the second half versus the first half. Him getting two quick fouls and missing the time that he did really impacted this game. And obviously, Paulo, uh, his just individual performance in the first half, uh, I mean, if there aren't a lot of players that are going to play better in a college basketball game of this magnitude than he did in that first 20 minutes. And I think, that, you know, the last part is it also shows Gonzaga's depth. Julian Strother, who a lot of people aren't talking about, like, I mean, he's sitting right now on 20 points and uh, he's having an amazing game. There's a lot of different players on the Zags that can beat you. It's not just Chet. Obviously, we've talked about Timmy, but the collection of talent on Gonzaga's team is parallel to the the guys in the white jerseys. And that that doesn't often happen. No, it's been a heavyweight fight. I mean, it really has. And Arch, you're not surprised that Duke came in here and, and was ready to go. I mean, the crowd seems about 50-50. But I thought they did a great job early of, of making life difficult for both of Gonzaga's big two at the time, which were Drew Timmy and Andrew Nemhart. Those are kind of the guys that I think you got to slow down, and they did early. Yeah, you know, the thing about Duke is as much hype is around this game, every time they play, it's like this, you know, and – whether it's going to be at Ohio State next week, it's going to be the same game. Whether it was Kentucky in the Garden early, it's the same game. And, you know, I, I, 
I'd be hard pressed to figure that Coach K doesn't have a calm team sort of coming in here ready to go. But early in the game, you could tell that Duke's talent was different, that Gonzaga hadn't seen that type of size, athleticism, and talent. Uh, when they were converting early in the game off misses and turnovers, they were scoring right with them. They have the size to kind of deal with them in and around the basket. And um, they were really, really sticky uh, early in the game in terms of being able to not let Gonzaga move the ball, reverse the ball. So no surprise from Duke. I mean, in general, this is kind of like Duke's bread and butter, these type of games. So um, they're right at home, in my opinion. All right, let, let's just kind of watch the end of this game and, and break it down, Rob. As you're watching now, these final minutes, any of you guys can kind of weigh in as we watch Joey Baker foul there. Uh, Duke up one, a minute 11 left, all sorts of foul trouble. Rob, what have you seen down the stretch here? Well, I've just been so impressed with Duke's guards on both ends. They've lived in the paint. I mean, they, they get to the paint, and they've done a good job of spraying it out, finding guys, getting multiple penetrations. But then defensively, they look like the Duke teams that I played against. We, we've seen Duke go to, like, some 2-3 zone, some BS defense. No question, Rob. You're here. right. You're right. I totally agree. Yeah, this is I totally like, agree. Screw you. We're, we're more talented than you. We're more athletic than you. We are going to we are going to make your life miserable. We'll take you out of what you want to run. And I thought it kind of knocked Gonzaga back initially. Now, now they've found some rhythm and, and whatnot, but I, that really stood out to me. That, that has not been there the last couple of years. We talked about this a couple of weeks back, Robbie. Oh, what a play. In, in one-point game, but the combination of the two centers at Duke, it isn't just Williams, who in his own right is terrific, but the fact they can sub in John for him, I mean, uh, you talk about defense. I mean, being able to protect the rim and really allow these guards to get up after you. Uh, I think they have a huge upside on defense for sure. Great drive. Jeremy Roach, who has struggled all game and probably, for me, the biggest question mark for Duke coming yeah. into the season. Wow. No, here's, here's the thing, though. Gonzaga, Duke right now is playing the side pick and roll game. Nobody's in the corner. So you have the dribbler, and then you have the the high screener. That the last drive wasn't this, but Gonzaga's played it two different ways, and they really can't find a way. Like they've hard hedged, and they've plugged. And Robbie made the point. You know, Duke's guards. If you plug, if you don't come out there and hedge, they're turning the bend, and they're good enough to score and make plays. Not just one of them. Very few teams have two and three guys that can do that. If you hard hedge the guy who rolls is a good player and there's just not one of them. There's multiple guys. So in its simplest form, their side pick and roll has really been problematic. And what I would tell you, no matter who Duke plays, that's what you're going to start with. How, how in God's name am I going to defend that? Gonzaga has really been hurt in tonight's game on, on that right there. There's some, there's some guys out here that have gotten so much better. Wendell Moore, Julian Strother, I mean, guys that have played lesser roles, and all of a sudden, this is as bright as the lights get, and those guys have been phenomenal. Yeah, I think Wendell Moore, Wendell Moore reminds me. to be happy with their teams. I mean, coming out of this, obviously you want to win the game, but to me there's so many positives. You see the play, though, like Drew Timmy doesn't miss that shot very often. He didn't just miss an easy one. Mark Williams is just different. It, you just don't score on him like the rest of your schedule. 
And the fact that Duke doesn't have just Williams that they can sub in with John, if you think about it, Van Carroll never has to play the five. So keep in mind how big and physical he is. So the size and the quickness of them, I think it allows them to be defensively how they used to be. And I would be surprised as you follow them the rest of the season, if you don't see them become a top five defensive team. And usually if they're in the top five defensively, they're making a run at, at, the, at the national title. Well, point being, Gonzaga has 17 turnovers tonight. Andrew Nemhart has six. And Drew Timmy has five. You know, those guys don't play with the, those type of turnovers in a game. But 17 turnovers is a result of the talent and the athleticism that's out there. Duke up 82-79 now with 18.8 uh, left. Duke's ball... I think honestly, I think as much as anything, I think Wendell Moore's been the key. I mean, Paolo I was saying, I was Moore. saying earlier to you guys, Jeff, that Wendell Moore, he's back in in my time where Chris Carrawell, as a junior and senior at Duke, was the ACC Player of the Year. As a freshman and a sophomore, he was a role player on great teams. Wendell Moore, in this day and age, as he came in as a freshman, people look at him like he was like wasn't good enough, or he was a little bit. Uh, doesn't have this, doesn't have that. And you're, you're just seeing that a natural progression of a good player at Duke kind of do what they always did. It's just a different time. Takes a lot or of pressure. Just, off and guess what? Drew Timmy's a junior. Yeah. Like Drew Timmy's not a freshman. So Gonzaga, I think this, to be honest with you, this may be one of the oldest years in recent memory. There's a lot of old players playing well, good, good teams with old guys out there uh, for, for a change. There's Robbie Hummels all over college basketball. Robbie was a super. <laughs> hey, Robbie was a super senior before there was ever a term. That's his friend. What can I say? I, I made this possible for all these guys. You know. You were the, Let me ask you, you though, I, Robbie. I, I got to ask you this question. Each spring, I hope because I coached against you when you were freshman. You were a great freshman. I hope you sat there and said, Painter. I want to know what's going to be different in my role next year as a sophomore if I'm coming back to Purdue. And then after your sophomore <laughs> year, was I want to know what you said to him after your sophomore year. I, this is this is exactly what it needs to be for me to come back. Like, is that how it went all four? Like, did you yeah, do that me three and my, times? Me and, my, me and my dad, we were really pissed about my role. <laughs> right. I like, used to get to play. Like, I was literally like, I'm getting minutes on this team? Like, this is crazy. Like, <laughs> no, we were not having that conversation. Hunter Salas in the game now. They got both freshmen, Hickman, Salas. Timmy's off right now. Uh, (laughs) You know what I find remarkable watching this game? I go back to Kansas. I know they had a tough loss earlier today to Dayton. But if you really call it what it is and you look at the talent level of Duke 1 through 10, the talent level of Gonzaga 1 through 10, I mean – not just who they've become in their respective programs, but who they were in high school, like what they were ranked coming in, like who, who what type of prospects they are. I, I don't think there's any comparison. And I, I say that to Bill Self's credit. And then I think like, I don't see Dayton being able to beat Duke and Gonzaga on a neutral court right now. You know, it's just, uh, it's, it's kind of remarkable to look at the talent level of how Gonzaga's evolved to be where they're at. Well, that's the thing. You look at it and you're like, honestly, there's equal talent. Now, I don't know if Mark View's ever going to have this again. That'll be the interesting well, thing. Yeah, Nolan Hickman just came in the game, and I know he was in earlier for a brief minute, but he's 
he's one of the top three or four point guards in his high school class. So he's a McDonald's all American was Hunter Salas, a McDonald's all American. Yeah. Top 10, top 10 player. So I want you to think about their roles on this team. Right. And I think that says a lot. And we've already talked about Duke and I think Arch, your point on Wendell Moore is so well taken because, you know, he's not only highly coveted and a very good player, but, you know, he's no longer a freshman there. He's not only there for nine months, he's been around the block. And I think that that makes Duke even better. Think about this about Gonzaga. This is pretty crazy. In the late nineties, they were on the same trajectory as Valpo university. They're, they're like 6,000 people, kids that go to school there. They go to the sweet 16 and now they're this. And Valpo is the beacons. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's pretty amazing, right? It's like, your fault. By the way, it's your fault. If you had gone to Valpo, Valpo could have been Gonzaga. But instead, you, you, and, you, you and Scott them. Martin just needed to walk across the street and everything go, would have been different. Down, down, downtown. Hey, I, I cry when I called Homer Drew and told him I wasn't coming. I was devastated. <laughs> I was heartbroken. I'm sure he cried when you called him, too. <laughs> So what what else was it? I mean, how much of a factor? Yeah, this is a big point here. There's 17 seconds. How quick Gonzaga can shoot and score is everything because the game's so far from over. But, you know, you look, they got the ball with 17. Great job. Look how slow it's been. Now five seconds. They got it it all that is six seconds. Back to our defensive comment about Duke. They shoot it with four seconds. You know what they usually do is they run it coast to coast and shoot a layup, right? But Wendell Moore just turned him three times. Yeah, so So, they caught the ball full court at 17, and they turned 17 seconds into a desperation heave from the left wing. Most of the time, Gonzaga is going to get a quick score. It's Duke. Did they go zone? Did they go zone? I could. I don't know. That's a good question. They picked up full court. Moore picked up the ball, but they (laughs) might have fallen back into a 2-3. I thought they fell back. Two, three, two possession game, right? What a what is what a different um, what a difference uh, four days makes in terms of the environment in that arena versus tonight. I mean, UCLA, uh, the hype around that one, and then yeah. this one here. But uh, like I said before, I said it a couple weeks ago. The most remarkable thing about Duke is the environments that they have to play in and the stage that they're on. And like, this is probably going to be the very same thing whenever that is Tuesday night when they head into Columbus. It'll be the hey, biggest crowd in Columbus. That's such a good point. The one thing I'll say to that is like, a lot of these guys on Duke, think about it. They weren't, they weren't very good last year. They didn't play in front of fans. It's not like they're used to it. No, nah, yeah. but they all, they, all, they all went there for that reason. I know, I know, but this is like their first big one. This is their first big one. What do you mean they, they, played, they played the Champions Classic? It was like the, the best. Right, yeah, Madison yeah, Square Garden was a pretty big stage. Yeah, that's true. That was a but but they haven't they haven't played a ton of them as well. I, I will say this though. We played them my sophomore year in the Big Snacy Challenge. We were both in the top ten. It was it was the best environment we maybe ever had in my time at Purdue. And it was overwhelming to us. And they they handled it like this is every time we go, like Archie yeah. said. It's this is not shit to us because no everywhere we go, this is what we see. And it's it's just you're right. They haven't seen it as much because of COVID last year. But these dudes, they're wired for this stuff. 
Yeah, um, it, you know, and I, I think the one thing for the perspective of college basketball, and it's a great perspective for people out here in the West, both of these teams will be home. Duke has a further trip, but they'll be home in about four and a half, five hours. And Gonzaga will be home in about three hours. Like they're not staying over, getting on the commercial flight, connecting and being home. Like in the world of college basketball in 2021, you know, playing in games like this on neutral court, how you travel, uh, different things, it, it separates programs. It, it allows programs to sustain great excellence. And I'll never forget, and Arch was with me, first year we're in Maui. I'm the head coach at Arizona, left Xavier. And I always felt like Xavier at that time and Gonzaga were very similar. And Gonzaga won the Maui Invitational that first year. That would be like 13 years ago. And that was 13 years ago. And, and I asked one of their donors because – where we were staying, there was all these signs at the hotel directing this, the Zags following on where to go, where dinner, where lunch is. And uh, they had a Thanksgiving dinner the next day, but they chartered from Spokane, Washington, direct to Maui. And I remember thinking, like, you want to know one reason why Gonzaga is the way they are? Because it's really important. They've invested. And, uh, and those guys, like why they recruit the way they recruit. Now, Robbie, it's evolved. It took a long time. But they're second to nobody in, in the expectations of their program and how their players are treated and how they think of themselves, you know. Uh, it's like what comes first. But I think in order to have great success, like people have to really invest in, in, what, in what you do. Duke, everybody assumes that's the case. Gonzaga, Gonzaga does that too. Is it is it fair to say that most teams fly commercial to, to Maui if you're going there? Absolutely. No doubt. Yeah. There's always a few, but I'm, remember what I said. I didn't say four years ago. I said right. 13 years ago they chartered from Spokane to Maui, stayed the extra day after they won it, had Thanksgiving and chartered back. But they committed to being great a long, long time ago, and that's to everybody's credit. Staff, you know, fans, administration, but – when you go to Spokane and you're up there, it's uh, they deserve all the credit in the world for becoming what they've become. And they lost tonight, but they're right there uh, this year to win it all. So, Arch, is is Duke the number one team right now? Are they the favorites? I mean, they just beat the number one team. I would say Duke or Purdue, you can make an argument. You know, Purdue had Villanova and um, who else did they beat in, in that North, one? North Carolina. I mean, they, 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 they beat North Carolina in a hard-fought game, and then they, they beat Villanova, and clearly they're, they're right at the top. But Duke has now beaten Kentucky neutral, and they've also now beaten Gonzaga. Um, so, I mean, I think it's 1A, probably 1B with Purdue. I would put Baylor right up there as well. I mean, it's, it's hard-pressed not to think that Baylor shouldn't get a little respect right now for what they've done here early in the year. And, you know, here's the thing about Gonzaga. That's their third top five game in the, in the first two weeks of the season. So if you wanted to keep them there at number one, you probably could keep them there. They blitzed the first two, which were right. two pretty good teams. How, how do you beat Duke, Robbie? How do you beat him? What's, you know, again, they got these two bigs. They got length. They guard. They get after you. We've talked about this a little bit while the game was ending. What What's the 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 – blueprint to trying to beat them yeah I always thought when when they used to guard like this the way you beat their pressures you have guards that can handle that pressure and, and drive the basketball and you have to have some pressure releases now those 
those big dudes they got patrolling the paint make it hard. So you're gonna have to make some shots. You're gonna have to drive and kick. You have to be intelligent would, as a basketball player. But I, I would I, just I would just say this: that if you look at Virginia's style, they've had a lot of success against Duke here recently. But the thing that Duke does better than anybody in college basketball, and they'll do it for the next 20 years and the last 20 years, is they will foul your team out and they'll go to the line 30 times. And they shot 25 free throws to Gonzaga's 11 tonight. And you have to keep their perimeter people in check and make them a jump shooting team that the best you can. I think Virginia, with the way Virginia's style is, they make it a half-court game. They keep the ball in front. They trap the post. They, they keep it out of the paint. And Duke is at its best when, one, they turn you over. Like Robbie said, they're going to score every time. And the second thing is they're going to just absolutely blitz you off the dribble with their perimeter guys. And, you know, their free throw attempts tonight, they made 15 to Gonzaga's, I think, 11 attempts. It's a big reason why they probably won the game. And Gonzaga turned the ball over 17 times. Duke. Duke is Duke when they can do those two things. If you make them shoot jumpers and threes and you kind of keep them out of the paint, that's easier said than done, obviously, but you got to take care of the ball as well, like Robbie said. But I'll say this, I don't see Duke losing at home this year with with what's going on with Coach K, Swan Song, and also Cameron basically has not had a game there in two years, a real one. And I don't think that Duke's going to lose a home game um, they're going to be hard hard to keep off the one seed line coming out of this. Uh, they got a hard one, a really hard recovery. It'll be a real test to their team as they go to Columbus on Tuesday and play the Big Ten Challenge on the road. The, the, uh, the shot will be full, and um, this type of energy traveling from west to east, it's a late game. I know they'll recover, but um, that'll be a hard game for Duke on Tuesday night at Ohio State. Sean, anything to add on, on yeah. again, what, what they didn't touch on, how you beat Duke? You know, right now, Jeff, I mean, so when you're saying Duke, they, they, they may lose a couple this year during the season, but if you're talking about winning the national championship, yeah. based on what we talked about, and I think health is always a big deal. It's We're four months away, right? Who gets hurt, you know, how that goes. Assuming they're healthy, because of the parts they have inside, outside, the depth at guard. Robbie talked about you don't deal with one guy off of a ball screen or penetration. They have kind of like a three-headed monster, and yet you look at the size. Most of the time, they're going to have the best player on the court, the second best player on the court, probably the third and sometimes fourth best player on, on the court is all going to be on Duke's team. I would say this. There might be eight teams who have enough talent firepower on that single night in March that can beat them. I may be stretching it. I'm, I'm telling you, I think this team reminds me. Taylor can beat them. So put them in that category. I, I would say like uh, Shane Battier, when he played at Duke during his four years, he never lost an ACC road game. Show you how dominant. And it was like, it's kind of that same feeling. There's a couple teams that might be able to get them but only a couple. And I think this team's now in the category. Gonzaga's a team that can get them. But the talent you have to have to beat Duke this year has to be uh, spectacular. It, it's crazy because we didn't think that coming in. Like, I had Duke ranked like 14th in the preseason. Now, that's that's lower than most. Or Yeah, lower you're than coming, most. You're coming off of a, a year last year where their returning players, you know, didn't have the – the pop, you know, they really, to be honest with you, 
you were, weren't thinking about Roach and Moore and Mark, yeah. Mark Williams probably at the end of the season last year, most people were saying, boy, he really came on if he could be that at the beginning. But, like, their returning guys are really good. Really good. And, really and Paolo good. is a stud. We know that. My biggest question was point guard play with two. That's why I had him low because I just didn't believe in Jeremy Roach being the guy. I still don't, but they have Wendell Moore, who's three guys. Up. Yeah, they have three guys. Kills, too. I mean, Kiel's Kiel's initiates offense as well. They Correct. Now, yeah. how about this? Kiel's and Roach combined five for twenty-four tonight, and they yeah. still win. When Wendell Moore was the big difference tonight. He goes he seven and awesome. ten from the line. Yes. And, um, I would say that kind of looking at how the, how how they're projecting. I mean, he he's a real real difference maker for 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 their team right now. He's he's got confidence. Um, he doesn't look at all to be disappointed in how he's playing. I think you could get that taste those first couple of years in college with him that he wasn't achieving what he thought he should have been. And uh, he's now a junior and you can tell um, like Robbie says, I mean, he, he fits the mold of a Duke player of old. I mean, he's an older guy drives. I mean, he had five. I mean, what, what did he have the night? He shot 10, free throws, 10 free throws, 10 six, field goal attempts, six rebounds, six assists, four steals. I mean, He's good. Oh, I'll I tell you, Arch, what you said about their backcourt, they were what, five for 26, did you say? Yeah, mm-hmm. five for 24. If, if they are five for 26 in a game like that and they win, and they don't win 58-56, what did they score, 85? Four. 84. 84. Yeah. So you score 84 points. Again, to that, that's, I think, uh, how, how you really feel about Duke, that, you know, clearly uh, they have a chance to win it all and they're – to me, they're, they're the best team in the country today, them and Gonzaga. So for if you're Mark Few, you, you, you're not upset. You're definitely not upset. I mean, you, you've, you've won these two games big. Now, to be honest, you've got their attention a little bit. Do you not, guys, Sean and Arts? Like, not that you needed it necessarily. And you also got a game out of Julian Strawberry that you can absolutely build on. This was a breakout game for a young guy that they had to have this year step up. They had yeah. a lot of different guys play. I mean, they, they played eight guys tonight. I thought Salas and Hickman started to play a little bit more of a role even tonight than they did the other day. But, you know, right now, you know, tonight the difference from Gonzaga, if you said what would happen, a- Andrew Nemhard, you know, he had 11 assists in a game, but he also had six turnovers and went two for seven. They didn't get great point guard play from him tonight, but they got Strother and Bolton to come out of nowhere and both get 20, 20 and 15, you know, and, um, not only are they going to get better, the competition level that they've seen in the first couple of weeks here, I mean, they're going to be primed to do what they normally do, which is to hit conference play right around the top one or two teams in America. And they're going to get ready to play in a really good WCC. You know, I think they're going to be tested more in that league this year than they have in the past, but they're really good as these young guys like Salas and Hickman, you know, Bolton's a first year guy there. They're, 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 they're good. All right, so let's let's finish. I didn't even want to really uh, hit on this, but everybody will want to know. Um, Paulo or Chet? And, and, and again, I know it's early in the season, but I also know that sometimes you can tell early in the season who's number one when you see these guys enough. And these guys are so different. That's the incredible part of this. And I, I think it's it's one or the other. Um, to me, Jabari Smith is terrific at Auburn, and I think he's probably number three for me. 
but these guys are one and two. Robbie, I'll start with you. Who, who are you taking? Gun to your head today. Who are you taking? I think I, I think I'd go Holmgren still. I, I just think his upside is insane. I mean, this dude looks like he bench presses like seventy pounds, and he's so productive. You know, so I, I I'd go with that because I think he's just going to get so much better over the next three or four years. You know, Robbie, that's one way of looking at it, and then. You know, it all depends on how you, you know, beauty is in the eye of the of the beholder so many times with this. Like Chet, you could flip it on you and say, yep, you're right. But that's part of what makes Paulo so good. Imagine when Chet Holmgren grows into his body and is 20 pounds heavier. He has a seven foot six wingspan. He already can shoot the three. You know, he's proven that he's a shot blocker. Like, do you also look at it the other way through, you know, what they don't have? Because in Paulo's case, uh, no doubt, he has a ready-made body. But, you know, I think the one thing, let's give both guys credit. I don't think it's a sure thing either way. It's it's a tough decision. You know, I'm sure that – Not a wrong answer, I don't think. Yeah, maybe it'll play itself out more over the four, next four or five months. But uh, both guys are uh, like generational type of players. For sure. They're, they're, both, they're both really good, but um... – I've watched, I watched Auburn actually quite a bit in that tournament. And I'll tell you, I think Jabari uh, Smith in like three or four awesome. years, I think he's an NBA all-star. I mean, yeah. that dude, you talk about freakish talent and skill. He's got just as much as those two. But I think, you know, if you look at those guys, you know, who's having success, who plays like them early, you know, uh, you know, I think Paulo kind of looks like a Julius Randle type of a guy early in his career. Chet, you know, I, I think a lot of people, Sean, you would probably be able to compare them, but um, Mobley, who just left USC a year ago, a lot of people are kind of saying those two guys are on the same kind of path. I'm not sure how they, I'm not sure the eye test, you know, what I think Evan Mobley probably has a wider frame than Chet. You know, Chet's pretty narrow, but. Maybe not, Arch. Uh, I mean, I, I think Chet's kind of like Evan Mobley, but can shoot. Uh, you know, one thing that I, I was looking at Jabari Smith earlier you know, right now he's shooting 43% from three. He's he's serious. He, he's oh, almost 50% from the field, and he's 84% from the line. And, you know, we're, we're just crossing Thanksgiving. You know, usually those numbers take a little bit to settle for, no matter how talented you are, especially as a freshman. And keep this in mind, to Paulo, Chet, and Jabari's credit, imagine those guys' his senior year of high school. You know, like – they, what did they do? What did they not do? There's no people. I mean, you think about where they're at. I, I think that's why when you talk about generational talent, especially the first two guys, um, it's uh, it's not going to be an easy decision. And I think you you bringing up Jabari Smith is right, Jeff. Uh, his shooting at that size to be that efficient, that young in his career, usually those numbers hold true. The, the only thing I worry about with Jet is, again, is his frame. You know, that's it. Other than There's that. There's got to be – I don't care what anybody says. There there has to be an adjustment for him from a size perspective and strength when you hit the NBA. Robbie, I mean, you, you, you've run around out there with those guys. It's just – now, I will also tell you this, that Kevin Durant's a skinny guy too. He doesn't have any problems. He's, doing what he's, he's very doing. functionally strong though. I mean, yeah. now, I mean, it, it, when he was in Texas, he was probably not like that, but he, Rob, Robbie did have a game where he, he says he held KD down. <laughs> I've never said that. I've literally never <laughs> said that in my life. 
I was I was praying that he didn't murder me. We played one on one for three minutes at the Target Center in front of a freaking capacity crowd. But it's kind of like Chet has that same body. Like it's just like it doesn't make sense, but he's just so skilled. And I don't know, Chet is Chet Porzingis. He's tougher. He's way tougher, and he's a better shot blocker. Like that. That's the. I don't think he's as good a shooter yet, but I think he's he's got more shit to him. That's the one thing with Chet. You see it already, like even tonight, he's fighting, he's battling. I, I never really saw that out of Porzingis. Now, again, we also didn't see Porzingis when he should have been a, a you know freshman in, in you know in college as much. I mean, he was good with the Knicks, but um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a tough one for me. It is. It's a tough. I don't know. Again, Rob Rob made his pick with Chet. Arch and Sean, neither one of you, are, is it that difficult or would you go with one guy? I mean, I, I guess my point would be, it's you know, what do you need as a franchise? You're probably going to draft, you know, what you need a, a little bit, but you're probably not going to go wrong with drafting any of them. But I, I, I'll, I'll stick to this. I, I think that Paulo physically will be more ready to play in the NBA from day one. I think the best of the three is going to be uh, Jabari Smith from Auburn. Wow. 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 That's strong. And, and again, well, I, mean, I, I give all three guys credit. They went to great programs and they're all being coached hard and like they're, they're not getting baby. Sure. There's none of that stuff going on with any of the three. For sure. Yeah. I don't know about that at last deal on, uh, on Jabari's man. I would tell you this, that I will, I'll pass and I'll say that I'm undecided between Chet and, and Paulo. I mean that in a positive way for both. I think it'll play itself out more in the next three or four months than it is right at this moment. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, again, we love to make these knee-jerk decisions after a huge game like this. And if you do that, you're probably going with Paulo because of his first half. He was that electric and made threes. And, you know, again, I've compared him to, to Chris Weber. I feel like he's got a similar game to Chris Weber when he first came in, but he's even bigger and stronger. Uh, all right, let, let's move on. You know, there's several ways we can go with this. I'm going to go to Baylor because of what Arch said earlier. And what Arch said earlier was that he felt like Baylor was one of a half dozen teams that could probably compete and maybe beat Duke or anybody in the country. And that, to me, think about that. If if we had said that, you know, last April 15th, after Baylor wins, you know they're going to lose Davion Mitchell. Jared Butler's gone. Obviously, Mark Vidal and Macy Oteague. That's four starters from a national title team in Waco at Baylor. And you're saying this, Tarts. How ridiculous is it that, that we've got Baylor in that equation and what Scott Drew has done is nothing short of remarkable. No, that, that's incredible. I mean, you lose the, the three perimeter players in Teague, Butler, and Mitchell. They're all, the, like, legit. I mean, that, the three-headed monster. But they replaced them. I mean, LJ Cryer, and then you have Flagler, and now you have James Akinjo in the mix. And they're probably going to have to get their chemistry down. They won't be as in sync as those three guys were last year. But I will tell you this. The whole key to Baylor's deal is a little bit like I think what Sean was talking about. They got Thamba in there, and then they got um, his backup guy, the, the high end. Joshua. 
Machachua, that's at the five, serious, serious talent and athleticism. And then they have the X factor in Mayer, who's the skilled four. He's kind of like the jack of all trades. And then these two freshmen that they got are as good as these other guys that we're talking about. Um, Kendall, Kendall Brown, and then uh, Sotrin, uh, Jeremy Sotrin. Sohan, Sohan. Yeah, Sohan. Those, those two freshmen are as high-level talent-wise, but yeah. they have the defense. They have the five-position covered. They have a three-headed monster at the guard who can all handle it. And they, you know, what they did in that second half, I thought today in the championship against Michigan State, they just wore them down and uh, they hit you on the glass. They can beat you a number of ways. They're just, they're probably not as in sync as they were a year ago, but uh, they have some guys that played in that national championship game, man. And when you win on that stage, it's hard to duplicate that, that type of winning when you have some guys returning. They got balance. They got a lot of dudes on that team. Yeah. You know, Matthew Myers stepped up a little bit, but he doesn't need to be the guy. I think a lot of people thought he needed to be the guy on this team. And now Flagler transferred from Presbyterian. LJ Cryer has been great this year. Uh, as you said, those two bigs, you don't need to run anything for them. Just go, go rebound, run the court, block shots, finish. But I think the key for this team Sean is a guy that you know well, uh, James Akinjo, transferred there, played for you in Arizona, and kind of has a reputation that may not uh, be justified, right? Yeah, let me clear clear that up just from my perspective, because just listening to everybody, and it's not one person, it's just, I think it's just kind of, everybody's curious to see how James will do at Baylor. James Akinjo, one year ago, led the Pac-12 in assists. He was a first-team All-Pac-12 player, and he shot for the entire season 41% from three. Like, think about what I said. When's the last point guard that you called selfish, Robbie, that led the Big Ten in assists? I don't know. And here's the thing. If you look at what he's done so far at Baylor, there's a real chance for him to lead the Big 12 in assists. He's the MVP of, uh, of the tournament that just happened in the Battle of Atlantis. And in fairness to everybody, he just got to Baylor. It's going to take a little bit of time. But a year ago with us at Arizona, we had a younger group. You've seen the progression. A lot of those younger players are a year older. But during the months of November and December and even our, our conference season when it began, we asked a lot more of James, right? If he would have came back to Arizona, he wouldn't have had to do as much maybe scoring as he did a year ago. At Baylor, clearly he doesn't have to do as much, but I think he's adapting pretty darn well, you know. But when you lead the lead a conference like the Pac-12 and assist, you're a first-team All-Pac-12 player. Trust me, there's not a coach in the Pac-12 that isn't happy that he's no longer there. And I think if you talk to Scott Drew, which I have, He's thrilled with James's progress, and he's only going to get more comfortable in fairness to him because he he did just get there. But just watching him fit in. And uh, the other part I just want to say is I coached against Scott Drew three years ago and then, you know, two years ago, not last year when they won it. But I think it's really remarkable just to watch how he's changed as a coach and grown like the way his teams are known today defensively, you almost fear his teams defensively for a long period of time, not that they didn't play defense. I mean, he was an excellent coach in one. They mixed in a lot of two, three zone. Amoeba. 
They, yeah, they, they didn't give a shit. Like, we didn't know what they were in. Yeah, they didn't always. <laughs> they didn't always, you know, play man. Some of his teams weren't as good defensively, but he has created an identity here, coupled with the talent, coupled with some other things. And I believe this: that there's nobody in our game, college basketball, that is a better coach, not recruiter, not developer, and all that. I'm talking about just running a program, coaching than Scott Drew. I mean, not that he needed to win this tournament, but what else does he really have to do to be put in the category of some of the guys that come to mind when you think of who the best coaches in college basketball? Like, you got to say his think, name right off the top. I think he said it after the game, after they won the championship. In Power 5 basketball, I want to say in the last two years, they're the winningest program in college basketball. And if you go three years, I think they're tied with Virginia. Yeah. As the winningest program in power five basketball. With hey, let me say this, Arch. All due respect to you two Big Ten guys. Thank God Goodman's on here with me. The Big 12, he's doing it. In. I am not a Big Boy Ten basketball. Guy. <laughs> Big 12, that, that is America's premier conference. And I'm telling you, you said the last three years. Yes. For him to win and be able to say that, I mean, you got to give him unbelievable respect. I think it talks a lot about their talent. It talks a lot about it. I, I know their staff's been together for the last five years. I think he's got a great staff, but he's also been in the Big 12. I think Bill Self and him have been in the Big Big 12. They're approaching 20 years, Jeff, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think they're amazing. both around 18 or 19. That's really that's, – that's hard to do. Rob, Robbie knows Scott – dating back from when Scott, you know, recruited him. And it, it's crazy to see the progression of Scott Drew, not only as a coach, but, you know, honestly, let's face it, you know, when, when, when he started winning early at Baylor, what were the two things being said about him within the industry? Rob? Number one was he's cheating his ass off. That's the only way he's getting the players. Number two was he can't coach. The only reason he's winning is because he has – Perry Jones and Quincy Miller and Isaiah Austin, these, you know, top five recruits in the country. Now it's completely changed, Rob, to whereas it's now like, like these guys are saying, like, hey, give him his due. He he's, can 60, coach. he's 61 and six since 2020. Oh, that's <laughs> this is kind of piggy off, piggyback off of what Sean said, but he hasn't just changed defensively. Even like when, when we played in the NCAA tournament my freshman year, it was all about run and gun, first to 90 wins, and, and that's how they played. And you're right. They did it with McDonald's All-Americans. Now he's kind of fluctuated to where for a while he wasn't getting that. Now he's back to recruiting at a high level. He, he's, he's changed so much. It, it's really remarkable. But, but at, the, at the end of the day, he, he is a phenomenal head coach. Their culture is what sets them apart because they go in there, they guard their ass off, they play hard every possession. And honestly, yeah. they had guys on the bench that shouldn't have been – aren't guys that are normally coming off the bench at, at programs like that. I mean, Flagler, stud. Matt Meyer, he might – Matt Meyer might be the most talented dude on the yeah. team even last year. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure he loves basketball. I'm not sure he likes basketball at times. But he is like – I mean, he's 6'9", he's going up, and he's cocking it back. He is very physically gifted. And, and there's a lot of guys – you mentioned Cryer. Yeah. When his turn, now he's playing. You bring in a transfer like James Akinjo. You have a, a high-level recruiting class. I mean, it it makes so much sense why they're winning. There's just too many reasons why they're so good. 
their physicality on the shot. It reminded me of uh, Cincinnati when when Huggins was there and really in his prime. You know, like one or two choices. Like if you had to play him, you either had to just and Skip Prosser would talk about part of of Xavier's rise to prominence and their continued success is the motivating factor of having Cincinnati across the city that was not only thriving, but could physically beat you up. So, you know, you had to recruit to that. You had to talk about that. You had to develop your own toughness. And I think like Baylor is the measuring stick of that in a lot of ways, especially the last three years. I mean, oh, shot went up, Mike, Mark Vital. I mean, it was, he was just a nightmare. And uh, that, again, that's all part of coaching. It's not just a set play or how many points your team scores, but it's kind of that identity. I think in football, it's like how it feels when they tackle you. You know, what both lines feel like, the offensive line and the defensive line. There's a cumulative effect when you play them that feels different. When you play Baylor, their defense, their physicality, rebounding, it really jumps out. It's different. And, uh, but I, I think what the respect of Scott Drew, to me, he's one of the best in, in the game. And I think he'll be in a Hall of Fame coach. When their team Hall. right now almost mirrors a little bit last year, but they're fourth on offense, fifth on defense. They're top five in forcing turnovers and they're top 10 in offensive rebounding. And Jeff, Jeff I want to use, up. I'm sorry, Arch. I, I want to use this deal. I want to bring one thing up. Why is Bob Huggins not in the Hall of Fame? You know, can I can I just say this one thing about it? Let's talk about where he started. Wins Walsh College. Anybody been there? Never been to Walsh. Akron. Been Been there. (laughs) UC Cincinnati, and keep in mind when he was there. Kansas State for a brief minute. In West Virginia. And it's like you look at what he's done and the wins he's had. It's just well, – I think it's, Jay Wright – the problem, Sean, is is Jay Wright just won two – here's the issue. In my opinion, I don't know if any active coaches should be in the Hall of Fame. I, I feel like probably you should wait till guys retire. And, and even if you want to have a shorter window. But whatever, that's a different conversation. But Jay Wright just passed them by because he won two national titles. So he got in ahead of them. He jumped them. Because is Billy in? Jeff, is Billy in yet? Billy's in. Yeah, Billy was in. Yep. Is he? Billy's yeah. in the Naismith Hall of Fame? Pretty sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think he's in yet. Donovan. Oh, yeah, Donovan. I think so. Yeah. I, I thought so. I thought there was a, something like a rule, like you had to be 20, 20 years in and, and something five out. But I don't think Billy's in. You don't think Billy's in? I don't think Maybe he's, he's in the Naismith Hall of Fame. Maybe no. he's not. I don't, yeah, I don't remember. All right, let, let's, let's move on to something um, probably not as uh, a positive, and that is the Memphis Tigers right now. And uh, Penny Hardaway in his fourth year, before the season, he gets Amani Bates, he gets Jalen Duran, two top kids, high school kids reclassify, uh, puts him with a, a really good, uh, you know, returning a bunch of transfers, Landers Nolly, DeAndre Williams. Lester Canone is back, um, and they get blitzed tonight. I mean, they got run off the court in Brooklyn by an Iowa State team that, honestly, most people had either last or maybe ahead of Kansas State 
in the Big 12 this year. And give Iowa State credit. And T.J. Otzelberger has done one hell of a job. I've said, this fits him. UNLV did not fit T.J. Otzelberger. Iowa State fits him. But how much of this is Iowa State beating a Memphis team that we ranked in the top 10? They're not. They're just not that good. They don't have a point guard. That That's my big issue with Memphis is I don't care if you have Larry Brown, John Wooden, and whoever else on the bench coaching a team. You guys know this arch. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say you didn't have a point guard, but you, Rob Finnessy, wasn't maybe quite the level that you had hoped he'd be. And I'm not asking you to hammer him at all, but no. you need a high level point guard to be able to win, you know, and 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 be able to go deep in the tournament and win your league. Yeah, I mean, I, I think point guard play, guard play in general, is, is you know, it's paramount. You got to have, it, especially with the way that Memphis you know, their style is set up, you know, they have a, they have a feast or famine style of play, but I, I think in their defense, real competition over the weekend, beating good Virginia tech team, you know, um, and then they, they lost to a, a really, 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 really uh, hard playing uh, confident Iowa state team. I mean, let's not take that away. I mean, those guys have played their butts off in both of those games, but the thing with Memphis is this, they're young, they're super talented and they're going to have to just, at the end of the day, they're going to have to just tidy some things up. But they're 350 in the country in turnover rate on offense. There's only 351 teams. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's not going to get it done. That's got to come down. I think part of that is they're playing a, a breakneck speed. They have a lot of young guys out there. and They have to calm that down a little bit. Um, and I think once they do that, which they, they, they'll have to if they're going to try and make a, make a run. But, you know, defensively, how they're playing with the full court, the switching, the chin on shoulder, you know, the game is going to get crazy with the way that they play. And, uh, you know, if they turn you over, you know, they're going to be able to convert. And if they don't turn you over against good teams, if, if, if they can't do it, you know, they're going to be in a half court game and that's not going to be in their, in their favor. But the whole deal with Memphis is obviously getting calmed down in terms of the turnover um, offensively. They have, they have the troops and they got a lot of talent. 22 turnovers tonight, Rob, 22. And uh, again, Alex Lomax, a really good backup point guard for a team that maybe could could contend or go to Sweet 16. You know, Amani Bates. That, listen, when Penny told me in the summer after he got Amani Bates and he said to me that that would probably be their first option at the point, that's when I said, all right, they're in trouble because Amani Bates is a scorer. He's not a point guard. He impressed me over the summer with his passing in court vision. It was better than I had seen it two years ago, but he's a flat-out scorer, and he's also really young, and it's going to take him time. I hope he stays another year in college because I think his second year in college, he could be a lot of what people thought he'd be. I mean, this is what we saw from Memphis last year, too. Remember we heard about the Lion offense and whatever that was? Like <laughs> – well, they run the line offense or what they ran tonight, it's been horrible. You know, they get in the half court, they can't score. Um, Archie talked about their defense. They're going to pressure you. They're going to turn you over. I just – I have such concerns about Memphis scoring the ball against anyone that's going to competently handle their pressure. They, they can't score. It is like, what Houston. like Houston. Like yeah. Houston. But, Robbie, here, here's what I would say, though, just kind of looking at them. Number one, keep in mind – 
obviously not only do they have an influx of new players, but they're really, really young, right? And they're on a neutral court in New York for the first time. Like the one thing that you say, if, if like, let's say if Purdue basketball is number three in America today, because now games have been played on defense, they're third. Going into the game, I think they were first. Like that's that shows you like there's a reason. There, there's some talent there that in, in some teams' best attempt, they couldn't sniff third. They're just not talented enough. What Arch said, and Arch, I'll correct you on one thing. There are more teams in college basketball because in the, in in teams stealing the ball against Memphis, they're 356th. Oh, <laughs> so, so, so there's six more than I, than I thought. So let's flip it. If you're third on defense and you're 350th in turnovers and 356th in people stealing the ball, live ball turnovers, like, I think that's something you can fix if you just don't play as fast. Right. You know, I, I, I think I'm going to give Larry Brown Penny enough credit where in the next four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, that's something that can really be correctable. But what they have, 90% of the country can't even sniff, and that is they're so talented quickness-wise, depth-wise, athleticism, size. And you when you can be a top-five defensive team, it's just a matter of the question – how much better can they get at taking care of the ball? Because like you said, they couldn't score, Robbie. I would worry more about that if I saw, you know, they're, they're turning over, maybe they're 50th. Then I would be like, you're right. But part of, you can't score if you don't shoot, you know? And by but, the way. Think about this though, last year, 308. Year prior to that, 338. This is not like a new thing for their team. So meaning I turn up, Meaning turnovers? Yes. Right. I'm going to give one guy enough credit, and I don't want to overstep my bounds because I know Penny's the coach. There is no way Larry Brown is going to sit there <laughs> next to Penny and let that happen for the third year in a row. I, that's, a, that's a gentleman's bet right there, Robbie. I like if we it. check back here in early March, Memphis still may turn it over, but they'll be considerably better. And all only I'd say is – What's our what's our number? Two Like 275? We'll have to we'll – have to, <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I, I'm going to say this. Like uh, how much in, better? That's they'll right. Get in the low 200s. They'll get it. They'll get it. They'll get it to that point. But here's the thing. Think about this. Do you know how hard it is to be good on defense when teams, you're 356 and teams stealing the ball? Actually the ball. Yeah, that's hard. I'm going <laughs> to tell you, Memphis, and Memphis is going to have a great year. And when you get to March, they're going to have this fixed as much as they've had the last three or four years. And if they do, Look out. They just have things, ingredients that most of college basketball don't have. And right now you see it on defense. You'll start seeing it more on offense. Well, the one thing is you can't – I say it again. They went to Brooklyn. It's neutral. Amoni Bates and Jalen Duran and those guys, like last year was their – Amoni was a junior in high school. And Jalen Duran, you know, yep. although at Mount Verde, maybe a little bit different, but they haven't even played a college road game yet. I mean, they're going to go through some of these ups and downs here early on. But I think once they kind of get into conference play, especially at home, they're going to be really tough to deal with in Memphis, um, you know, with the way that they play. But um, they, they, they got some they, – they, they got to get the turnovers uh, down. All right, we, we can't uh, finish the show without talking about the biggest upset of the day. And that Fire. was uh, Kansas – losing to a Dayton team that has 12 freshmen, 12 freshmen on it. How's that possible? Uh, 
Because <laughs> you, you can have like 18 scholarships. How do you have how do you have 12 freshmen? And and well, they they probably have 15 or 16 scholarship guys. I don't know. But I listen, all I know is Kansas was was up, I think, 15 with about a minute and a half left in the first half. Dayton comes out, 9-0 run coming out of the break, and then they put pressure on Kansas. And then it's like playing with house money to some degree. But at the end, I was just shocked. The biggest shock for me was they went to David McCormick on the final play of the game for Kansas. And he has been – Jeff, he's been awful. Jeff, you just said the magic number was 12 freshmen. I've watched Dayton quite a bit here early in the year. They have the thinnest front line in college basketball. They're all young. David McCormick is a fifth-year senior. And here's the thing. One of the reasons you can say one of the reasons, whatever, David McCormick didn't play well today. But, I mean, you got to be able to throw the ball inside. He's got to be able to get some work done against that that front line because – what Dayton has done coming into the tournament, I mean, you know, they, they hadn't played well. They're finding themselves. They're a completely new team. So, but I understand exactly why. But he didn't he didn't get it done like he he normally did. But believe me, there's a few coaches. If you just go through feast week and you say, "Well, I wonder how many of those guys had an enjoyable Thanksgiving um, night or Friday night or Wednesday night," we were talking about it the other night. Like these ballrooms, what they look like, like. I'm just going to say this, the Jayhawks have a long day tomorrow. And I'm sure the Iona Gales are probably right next to them having a long day tomorrow. I know Kelvin Sampson's crew had a hard night as they rolled in. I mean, you just know there's a few teams that are going to kind of come back here. And uh, Kansas is going to come back because they took the foot off the pedal coming out of halftime and they allowed Dayton way too many easy opportunities to get the momentum and no one understands this, but me, but when you're in an exempt event and Dayton is in the event, you have no idea what that place feels like with their, with their crowd. It's awesome. They get invited for the next 40 years to every event and known to mankind because they bring the entire city down there. But I'm just telling you, if you ask the Kansas players or bill self and Kansas has a great crowd, they got stunned in there, man. The place went absolutely crazy. It was like playing a home game. I've seen it a thousand times. When you go into those events and Dayton's in the event, they're really hard to deal with because of their crowd. And you could just feel it on TV in there. You could see it. I mean, like when they got a little momentum going and they got Kansas was shook there for a minute. I mean, I think he took back to back timeouts early in the second half and it got away from them. But defensively, they weren't very good in the second half. And that's part of the problem. Dayton fans are amazing. Uh, you're, you're so right. And you know what makes them amazing is it's not like they're always top five. Listen, they, they lost three home three home buy games coming to Florida, and they literally have people yep. flying in for the championship. People that right. didn't come to today's game are coming on Sunday. They're flying down there. Hey, look, I mean, that's the advantage of, of you're the coach about Dayton. I mean, you get to this time, you can, if you don't see the sun for – 47 to 60 days in a row. I mean, at some point you're like, where's that exempt event? Oh, Florida? Sign me up. I mean, that's the that's advantage. Right. Paradise. That's, that's about. the advantage. I mean, Robbie knows a little bit about that as well. It's paradise. Robbie doesn't see the sun all, all winter. <laughs> West Lafayette hey, to Chicago. But, Forget but about Jeff, it. Jeff, here's the one thing. Uh, Jalen Wilson, who I know is a very talented player, 
it's so difficult when a very talented player goes down, whether it's an off the court situation or an injury. But I think sometimes when they first come back, it's awkward for everybody. If you look at him, like who he'll be a month from now or two months from now, once he settles in far cry from the player that you've watched the last two days. I know he struggled today, but he's a real big piece to Kansas's prominence. And, you know, I think early on, like, that second half, and just like you didn't even know he was on their team. Well, that's kind of like the price everyone pays when, you know, something like that happens. You just don't snap your fingers and everything's back. So I, I think part of them fixing themselves moving forward will have him, you know, becoming the player that he clearly is. Rob, you worried about Kansas? I mean, obviously, they don't really have an alpha dog. They bring in a point guard in Remy Martin that Bill Self's still trying to reprogram to some degree, you know, we, we had him in that top three or four. Now I think, listen to me, there, there's probably a top three right now. And I think it would still be Duke and Zaga Purdue. I think those are your three. Look, in a different if you want to talk about, if you want to talk about Kansas and watch this number grow, because it's going to have to grow for them to do what they normally do. David McCormick is shooting 41% from two at the five for Kansas. And I just go back the last 20 years of Bill Self and he, his bigs are getting the easiest two point baskets that you're ever going to get on the floor. And if your center is playing 25 or 30 and he is six foot nine or 10 and he's shooting 41% from two, he's not getting the job done for Kansas right now. So I would suspect this because he's been there for a long time. He's going to reemerge and, um, you know, they're going to get a better play out of him than Kansas has a chance to be. He did this last year. McCormick was the first, like, month of the season. And then all of a sudden, Big 12 play comes around and he's back to being a stud. Mm. I I wouldn't say I'm worried about him because I think Coach Self is such a good coach. I think what Sean just said about Jalen Wilson kind of getting back is is certainly – a very good point. The point guard stuff worries you. Can can Remy Martin be a winning point guard at, at a place like Kansas? I think that's that's the big question. But I, I do believe that David McCormick will will play much better because yeah. I've seen it and I've seen him start like this before and then figure it out. Hey, that's Dave. why I go back to Baylor and Akinjo. Like, if you want to have the narrative of worrying how Remy Martin, first of all, Remy Martin was. I mean, the one thing that's that's that I think you have to give credit Robbie to him about is in the role that he had at Arizona state playing wild, sometimes himself getting a lot of freedom, scoring, shooting a lot. He did go to three consecutive NCAA tournaments. However, his style playing at Kansas with what he's trying to accomplish for a different coach, he has to kind of flip his style. somewhat. James, like you were in Vegas, James played with about three pros a year earlier at Arizona, they were younger. Yeah. Like it is not that he, he just, and although his usage rate was higher, I don't think he has to adjust nearly as much, but Remy Martin. And I, I think I mentioned it last, and he can drive both coaches crazy, his own coach and the other coach. And, uh, and I say that with like a lot of respect because the one thing about him, the bigger, the moment or right when you're ready to doubt him, he'll have a big moment in a game or he'll have a big game. He just kind of, He's, he's a fearless competitor, and I think that's a big reason why he he went to Kansas, because he beat them twice 
when he played at Arizona State. And as time moves on and he gets some tough love, I think he'll settle in. And I think he's plenty good enough. And uh, no doubt, I, I think Kansas is one of those teams that when you get to March, they clearly can make a deep run. Bill Self, his, his ability to score on offense is unlike anything that I have seen. I mean, it's just, he takes these teams and when you keep watching them, they get to the point where it's like, wow, they score easily. And uh, doesn't always have that talent that we watched earlier tonight with Gonzaga and Duke. You know, he's had great players, but recently not nearly as talented as those two teams. All right, well, listen, uh, appreciate all you guys joining us. I know uh, happy Thanksgiving to, to all you, Sean. You, you told me I think this was your first Thanksgiving at home in 38 years or something, some crazy number like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we were able to keep you busy at least and, and give you, you know, a night of watching ball and talking about it. And uh, yeah. March, happy Thanksgiving. And Rob, uh, appreciate it. And uh, you are you're back tomorrow night with Fanna uh, and, and Kevin Sweeney uh, after dark tomorrow night. So Robbie Hummel cannot get enough of it. And uh, he's trying to make sure he earns his paycheck. Hey, Jeff, Jeff and Robbie, I'm not going to let you two guys off the hook. I'm going to make you stay on here for a couple more minutes, just two right. minutes. <laughs> you can't ignore the Pac-12 like you just tried to. You know, <laughs> you have you have to at least act as if they're – I'm not allowing that to happen. It's my calling card. And I have more time on my hands. I'm going to take one for the, for my fellow coaches and comrades out here. I'm telling you right now, USC – don't sleep on them. Don't, don't sleep on their talent and their ability. They were they were under the radar last year, and they almost got to the Final Four. They're off to a great start. They return. Their, their length and size, their experience, they have a very, very good team. Uh, I mean, I, I believe in USC. You know, Arizona's harder for me to talk about because I was the coach. But, Robbie, I would just ask you, I mean, based on the, the talent level and just I think Tommy Lloyd's doing a really good job, like, I think I think Arizona is is going to be a tournament team. Do you do you feel that way? I mean, I'm biased. No, I, they asked me at, at, during the Michigan game what I thought their ceiling was. I think it's second weekend. That size is a problem to deal with. The athleticism is a problem. The skill is there. I mean, yeah. the front court is. I mean, Matherin, Stud, uh, the big fella from uh, Coloco. Yes, well, not not him. Coloco has gotten so Tabellus. Tabellus, yeah. yeah. Cubellas, phenomenal. The question for me is Kirk Creason. I, I know his swagger is that he feels like he's a, a top elite point guard in that league. We'll, we'll see. You know, I, he's got to play well. But I love their team. I, I, I think they are. I'll say, I'll say this about the Pac-12. O- Oregon is going to have to fix some of their stuff for the league to really be deep, you know. And I don't know, you know, looking at UCLA and USC and Arizona off the good starts, Washington State and Utah – underrated teams they're both off the good starts but the pac-12 needs oregon yeah Dana, listen, Dana, oregon Dana. state's bad oregon state's bad this year arizona state's been bad cal's been bad washington's been bad stanford's been bad oregon's been bad if oregon doesn't come back then it's 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 a four-bid league sean you can you you realize you're no longer sean you're no longer no, no, this is the man you can talk to not not me not archie it's got goodman's the okay. so jeff look <laughs> here's God. all i'm gonna tell you okay so uh, here's i'm gonna i'm gonna really i'm gonna make a couple great points i'm gonna revisit oh, points in march 
<laughs> you cannot judge UCLA right now without Cody Riley. Fair. I'm fair. telling you right now. Yeah. He's under underrated. His his number one, his experience, his ability to score around the rim. Like you talk about Kansas, like scoring around the rim. Yeah. Cody Riley is a problem. There are some games UCLA will win this year because of his individual performance on offense. He adds a different dimension and element to their team. Number two, Peyton Watson is just entering the fray. Who he'll be in February is far different from who, who, who he is today. I think Mick's a heck of a coach. They have a lot of guys now. Johnny, Juzang, Jaime, Tiger. Like they're a team that they don't sleep on them because Gonzaga beat them the way they did. They're also the same team that beat Villanova without Cody Riley. Okay. Without Cody Riley for the big East people there. Keep that in mind. He didn't play in that game. So I get your point on the bottom, but USC, UCLA and Arizona. And then I'm going to say this, that don't sleep on, on, on Oregon. Although they did not look right in Maui. Uh, you know, you want to know how good Chris Duarte is? I mean, that says it too. Him and Peyton Pritchard the last three or four years with them on the team, I think they just, they won so many games by themselves. But Dana will get it going. And then I'll tell you the other team that uh, has a really, two teams that I think are very well coached, don't sleep on them. Washington State with Kyle Smith and Utah with Craig Smith. I think in both cases, I'm not saying they're going to be in the tournament but those aren't like easy trips or games right now. They're both undefeated. And I think they're both building their programs into, into being a, 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 a power, but, um, but you, you got to at least acknowledge them. I mean, come on now. I mean, Jesus, God, I just love, I love how you're not in the league anymore and you're still defending them. Like I mean, you are you're ignored for 12 straight years and Robbie, Hummel, oh. guys like Robbie Hummel aren't giving you any credit. And you're like, wait a second. We're no, pretty no, good, too. And I you guys drink that easy. Big Ten water. I'm tired of that Big Ten water. You you have to spread the love. I watched Michigan come to Vegas and play Arizona. And I, I felt it. I saw it. And, you know, it's like I'm going to tell you that um, there's some good basketball out here in the West this year. I mean, San Diego State is very good. Arch mentioned the WCC being as good as it's ever been. Gonzaga obviously being out here. I think there's some teams that when you get into March Madness can advance. I think the WCC and the Mountain West, I don't know about the Mountain West, but WCC is going to get as many teams as the Pac-12 in the tournament. Colorado State. Well, Colorado, Colorado State, San Diego State, Boise State, Nevada just fixed their deal real quick with, a, with the uh, dismissal, and they got cooking um, the last couple of days. They're going to be good. Um, Fresno State – undefeated right now and they have a pro inside wcc's got san francisco undefeated santa clara was undefeated until uh frank frank camp frantic um uh they're a good big guy he got mono so he's out for a couple of weeks but uh the the pac-12 um they may not get as many as those two leagues they probably get four i mean they probably get four at this point i mean usc beat san diego state tonight which was a big one for the league but again, you've got UCLA, Arizona. Usually you have Oregon that's a lock at this point. Now, Oregon's going to really have to rally. Right. They got some Robbie, work to do. Robbie and Jeff, as, as official members of the media. <laughs> I'm is honored. It, is it fair to say this? That on December 1st, okay, let's go one more week. 
that you would be able to lock in 25 at-large teams by, by right now what they've already yeah. done or, or, or whatever. Like, you know, like sometimes the narrative as a coach, it drives me crazy because it's so opposite. I heard it a little bit the last couple of days. It's only November. It might only be November like if you're Memphis and they have to fix their turnover problem. I think we all understand that. But like tonight, the winner of the Virginia Tech Xavier game, that's a huge that has game. unreal meaning. Yes. And it was played in quietly in Brooklyn in November. Like you're you right. only get so many at-large opportunities. And if you're coming from a conference that hasn't performed well in November, December, or you yourself, yeah. you know, that's what I worry about Oregon. They had to play Chaminade in Maui. They right now, they're, they're, they're starting to get games under the belt. They have no wins. Right. So it's like you're almost at a point here in a couple of weeks where you have to win your conference tournament. And no well, one likes to talk is, like that. If you're Oregon, if you're Oregon, Sean, you have Arizona and UCLA. And what else? Like Washington State may not have anything on its resume at that point. Uh, Utah may not have enough. Those aren't resume wins. I will say Oregon. this. Oregon, Oregon has one more opportunity in a non-conference versus Baylor. They have one more game. It's a huge one. From huge. a non-conference perspective that's going to matter. And I believe it's at their place. It's a home game. But that's they they they've lost to to BYU, St. Mary's, and Houston, and they only have one more really marquee key game. Yeah. All right. Well, there there. That's all the time we have for your pack ten uh, pack twelve. Hey, no, I I'm not like going to let you guys. Better. I'm not going to let Raise you guys do what has been done. No, we're going to change that. Next time we're going to get you some Pac-12 pom-poms and you can just hey. put them up and, and start swinging them around. All right. Yeah. Damon Stoudemire, Sean Elliott, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, DeMar DeRozan, Clay Thompson. Do you want me to keep going? No, we listen. Robbie and Arch can't even, I mean, right there, like we can, we can go totally. Why do you totally. keep saying me? I didn't, I don't have anything to do with any of those guys. I don't. Arch, Arch is I'm not associated with anybody. <laughs> There you have it. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Feel the 68s after dark. And if you want to catch more of Robbie Hummel uh, tomorrow night with John Fanna and Kevin Sweeney. We'll see you tomorrow. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.